everyone, and welcome to episode 330 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening. Thanksgiving is nearly here, and I am joined, as often, by Eric Cole. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Kind of recovering from a little bit from a sinus infection, uh, which is, you know, always a great start to the holiday week. But beyond that, I'm doing well. Uh, excited to talk baseball with you. And, uh, you know, you've been a pretty busy man yourself, so I hope you're finding a way to get some rest here and there. Uh, no, not really. But, hey, uh, it's not I'm quite a man as... man that never sleeps. It's not quite as crazy sleeps. as it was in October. So I will uh, take small solace in that we're not recording every night at, like, 1 a.m. Um, that was uh, obviously worth it at the end. But it was a long month it, it, in October. It, it, yeah, it was. Um, it, the the postseason run certainly. I I it was hard for me to imagine being more tired than I was <laughs> after the after the twenty twenty season. You know but, what I mean? There you but, go. But but, but the the uh, the the run to the World Series title, which I am never going to get tired of saying out loud. Uh, you know, as improbable as it was. Uh, was a lot of work, uh, particularly on the podcast side, and you know, very rewarding. But it's been kind of nice to kind of be able to step back a little bit and you know, not have to like live and die baseball every single moment of every single day. Yeah, uh, I guess we should say that the Atlanta Braves did happen to win the World Series uh, just about sure three did, weeks Brad. ago. That 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 occurred. Since then, we've talked about that on the night when it happened. We did a parade podcast. We did a reliving the moments podcast, which is still very much fresh. On this feed, so if you want to go back and just kind of relive some moments, the three of us did that with uh, Scott joining us, and we, we've had fun. I, so there's plenty of content to be listened to. Well, well, I will say there's been a very—I don't know if it's—I don't know if it's, I would call it a minority or a majority, but there's been a vocal support for my position about the the top moment moment in the post. I, I, I saw that, uh, and also um, I think I think Scott gave a may culpa that I would agree with. We we should have mentioned the Adam Duvall grand slam at some point, and we didn't on the podcast. So that was—I uh, yeah. will own that. Um, that, that 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 would still be an honorable mention for me, but I agreed. Think I think there's game context. Yes, and, that, that and that's too. really why it didn't make the list. But at the same time, I should have at least thrown it on the honorable honorable mention section because, in the moment, because it was a moments podcast. In the moment, that was like pure euphoria. Yeah. So yeah, we <laughs> yeah, lost that, the game, that, but alas. yeah, that, that that game was kind of a disaster at the end. So maybe you know, I, it was hard for me to kind of. I guess it's really been colored by that, but it's definitely a fair point. That should have been on the list. Yeah, alas. So that, that's my fault. I will own that as the person who puts the notes together for this podcast. But needless to say, those podcasts are still available. Go listen to them. And also, as we transition to, to our uh, news and topics for this particular episode of the show, um, The Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman and special guest Scott Coleman dropped earlier this week talking about this particular thing. But neither, neither you or I were on the podcast when they, when they discussed Manny Pena. So that was the one item of like real news this week so we won't do a whole, a whole breakdown but i guess i have to ask you eric what were your thoughts on the blockbuster signing of manny pina <laughs> blockbuster signing blockbuster. um listen so the the problem that the braves had and it was a real problem was that what they've had in previous years which is like two catchers that are re- reasonably productive like reasonably productive rather and you know like obviously we're good at managing the pitching staff I don't think in recent years they've been particularly great about controlling the running game, and that certainly wasn't the case this year. But like they were like they they had always managed to get in a position where the Braves were like among the better teams in baseball in terms of catcher production. 
Uh, overall, they've had to piece it together with a lot of platoons. Uh, you know, Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki, and then you have you know you know what Darno did last year, and you know you can even go back to you know you know AJ Brzezinski type seasons, right? But that didn't happen last year. Now, some of that was not the Braves' fault. Obviously, Travis Darno got hurt very early and missed a very big chunk of the season, and he wasn't really good in the plate appearances that he had. And then we had you know a lot of nights of Stephen Vogt, Kevin Smith, that is just not very productive. <laughs> Um, obviously, William Contreras had, a, 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 I think, a successful initial start to his career and then, you know, really fell off, was just getting wiped out on sliders and then went back down the AAA to work on things, had some, you know, warts, you know, defensively, when, you know, trying to get, you know, transition to that knee in the dirt type catching style, which is a, admittedly a very difficult sort of thing to kind of transition to. Uh, I do think he's a better defensive catcher than that, but this is, I think this is kind of, the Braves hedging a bit because one thing that was a glaring weakness for the Braves this postseason, it wasn't even Darno's offensive production. He had you know some good games here and there at the plate, but he couldn't. He can't control a running game. He just can't do it. You know, and the teams were starting to take advantage of that. And you know, combine that with the fact that they they have Darno under contract, and you know he does a really good job managing the pitching staff. But you know, if Darno gets hurt, they don't want to be put in a position where you know. They're having to like go into the bargain bin of like thirty-seven-year-old catchers that can't play anymore. I mean, this is a, a playoff team should not be starting Travis Jeff Mathis at catcher, and that's what the Braves have to do on multiple occasions this year. You know, it, so as a result, this is kind of hedging a little bit. They're, maybe they're not a hundred percent certain that William Contreras would be able to take over everyday duties. Maybe they don't want to be put in that position again. Um, this is a two-year deal, so even in a world where, and as a backup catcher. You know, even in a world where Darno leaves after next year, or if you know he gets hurt or is really unproductive, then you have a guy that you feel pretty good about at the plate, and then maybe being allowed to bring one of the the two young guys in Contreras and Langoliers or and or Langoliers up, and you know kind of go from there. So this seems like hedging a bit, trying to make sure that they're productive at the catching position, and you know, for you know the money is bit negligible, and you know he's a productive player, you know, especially since the bar for catchers at the plate is pretty low. So I, I was I was completely fine with it. I don't think it was like anything like particularly groundbreaking, but it was nice to see them kind of strike early to kind of make sure they shored up that spot. Yeah, as we discussed ad nauseum on the show, Anthopolis has not been shy about going quickly on certain things. On others, he's waited, but you know he's been one of the more active um, personnel heads in the league when it comes to like November activity. Like he'll go out and get his guys, or even this year those pre-extensions. You know the, the Morton extension for one. Um, yep. And the catching market was pretty ugly this year in the free agent side. So, you know, Manny Pena is just okay. It's not like he's this great player. But um, this is the first time in a long time the Braves were not good at catcher. It's kind of ironic because the Braves have been awesome at catcher. Even when they had these, like, kind of off-the-radar pairings, they've been tremendous at catcher basically for a decade. Um, and this year they had a combined 58 WRC plus at catcher, which is, like, so really bad. Really bad. Obviously, part of that is, Dar- is that Darno was hurt, and then when he came back, wasn't quite 100 percent, pretty clearly. But you know, you got to you got to do better than that. And you're, you're not signing Pena to be this you know massive bat, but he has a career WRC plus of 91, and that may not seem great, but as far as cheap veteran catchers go, that is more than okay. You'll take that all day long in that spot for what he's making, especially when he's a pretty good glove and a pretty good arm. So yeah, it's sort of a plug and play move. 
Um, and that's kind of my only thought on it. Now, I have to ask you this because I think uh, we'll sort of weave in some mailbag questions quickly to the show tonight. Um, one of them is not even from one person. But I picked out one from David who asked this question that I think a lot of us have been seeing so far. And he asks, what does the Pena signing mean for both Contreras and Langoliers? And Langoliers? Does, it, does, it, does it signal a definite trade or is there a way to have both still in the minors? And uh, I have some thoughts on this, but uh, these are two of your uh, large adult sons, Contreras and Langoliers, so I will let you answer this first. So I don't think it signals anything definite, right? I think that the, it, it does signal that the Braves are like, we don't think that day one on opening day that William Contreras and, Shea Langlier, and or Shea Langoliers are going to be ready for major league at bats. And if that's the case, then I don't think that means there's a definite trade, obviously. But I do think that that means that, you know, it's very likely that we won't see those guys on the opening day roster, uh, which, again, is fine. Uh, I've been very vocal of the fact that I think that the more reps you can give guys behind the plate, calling games, getting used to managing the pitching staff, you know, working on, you know, the mechanics of being a catcher, particularly with, again, the this kind of the knee-in-the-dirt catching style that's been all the rage across baseball, you know, giving them some time to get used to that, get, you know, get better at blocking balls, get better at kind of understanding how to receive uh, and, you know, get that framing down. I completely get it. Does that mean that there's a definite trade? No. I do think that it means that it's possible and you feel a little more comfortable in maybe trading one of them if you need to. But, again... I will believe Alex Anthopoulos will trade a prospect of the caliber of William <laughs> Contreras and Shea Langliers when I see it. And he has not done that in, as the Atlanta Braves general manager. He has just not done it. Uh, and we honestly, we don't see a ton of big prospect trades, period. We, like, we're kind of I, – I wouldn't – it might have gone down a little bit because we did see some moves at this trade deadline where we saw some names of, like, of note that actually, like, trade – move organizations, but like prospects are extremely highly valued right now. They, they, those years of control that teams just hang on to those guys, especially if they have any real talent. Uh, and both of these guys are very, very talented. They're different players in a lot of respects, but at the end of the day, like they have two of the better catching, like, you know, Contreras isn't technically a prospect anymore, but if you put him on, if you were just to remove the kind of the prospect eligibility, you know, the line, these are like two of the you know probably top twelve catching prospects in baseball right now, so you know that those guys have real value, and I don't think that the Alex Anthopoulos is just going to trade one of those guys away unless it's for a really important deal. And I have just we have not seen those deals happen uh, with Alex Anthopoulos at the helm, so I'll believe that when it happens. Uh, and I do think there's a way for both guys to be in the minor leagues. Uh, the the thing that people need to remember is that you don't necessarily want your guys catching all the time in the minor leagues because catching is just such a brutal thing on your body and, you know, being able to like, you know, give guys, you know, like alternating back and forth is not bad. Uh, I think ideally what you want to do is you want them working with different pitchers as many as humanly possible, just to kind of get used to working with different types of guys, different types of arms, left side, right side, different parts of the rubber, different types of pitches. So like, you don't like handcuff them to specific parts of your rotation or anything like that. So, you know, alternating back and forth, tends to do that um, when you're in the minor leagues, you know, just, you know, and in the minor leagues, you're going to have the, the, the designated hitter, which is going to means that, you know, if you still want to get these guys at bats, you can still give them at bats. So I, I think there's a, I think there's a perfectly reasonable way for that. Both guys in the minor leagues still get them plenty of plate appearances, give them all the work that they need, all the coaching they need and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I do think that right now it's very likely that 
they probably view Shea Langleyers as more of the future at the position, but I don't want to like count Contreras out at all. And I don't think like he's like, you know, marked for the exit or anything like that. Yeah. I, I think I agree with pretty much all of that. I, I, you know, the big point that you made about if that was not trading prospects is a good one. You know, at some point he's going to do it. Um, but we don't, I'm not sure. You can't, sure, Brad. You, you can't make on yep. it until then. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I will believe it when I see well, it. Well, I, I mean, you, you know this, I mean, we, we talked about it broadly, but do you remember the highest prospect ranking on our list that's been traded under Anthopolis? Isn't it like 18 or something? Like it's, it's some uh, comically I, low number. What, uh, on our list, he was a little higher, uh, but it was Joey Wentz. Okay. Now well, there you go. Uh, so, so there have been some lists where prospects were higher, but I will say that I never ranked Alex Jackson that high uh, as some lists did. But Alex Jackson was highly regarded by certain and, outlets. And even and even then, he was already like his the, the shine was already kind of off by the time he actually got traded. He had been in the majors and not hit for so long that like Correct. it wasn't even like his prospect nadir. It wasn't you know there were guys that reached probably higher than that, obviously, but. Um, sure. in terms of when he was traded, it wasn't like he had this prospect shine when he was being traded. Um, so no, it's, that's worth saying for sure. And, you know, I'm kind of never of the mind of like, you have to trade, um, one of, you know, these guys, because there's like a log jam or whatever, because like you said, at the very top of this, Darno's only signed for one year and, you know, they have minor league teams for these guys to play on. Yes. You'd like them to play every day, but they're not going to catch every day. This is catcher. It'd be it'd be a little bit different if they, if they, if they were first baseman. Like if they were first baseman who were proven beyond belief at, at all the lower levels of the minors, and it's like okay, they actually have nowhere to play now. Um, it might be a little bit different, a little bit more firm. But catcher, like they're not playing more than 100 games anyway in the minors. They're just not going to do that. So it's like there's flexibility up and down the roster. I mean, I think Langoliers is obviously taking the lead in terms of like prospect type at this point in time, but. You don't have to do anything. Um, one thing I will say, I, I can't remember who asked me this, so my apologies, but there was a question about like whether Contreras would be a DH option for Atlanta next year. And uh, with due respect, uh, he's going to be a good hitter, I think, at some point. You you do not want him DHing for Atlanta Braves next year. I'll just say that right now. No, if he's DHing, that means that some really unfortunate things have happened uh, regarding current members of the roster that are currently dealing with legal well, situations. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, and the thing and, is, and, like, and, and, and as As well as, like, not making signings that feel like they should happen. Uh, it, it would probably signal some things about payroll. Well, and also, um, one thing that I will say, like, we on this podcast have talked about this a ton. The baseline at catcher is pretty low. Um, yep. And that, that is worth saying out loud. And, yes, there is a world in which they kind of use DH next year, to like give guys days off and like cycle through that. That's a reasonable strategy for a lot of teams. If they have the DH, which everyone is assuming they're going to have. But one thing you don't want to do is use that for your second catcher. <laughs> Cause second catchers are not good generally as, as hitters in a vacuum, they might be fine at catcher, but uh, there's basically no one in the, no team in the league that has two catchers to the point where the second guy is a legitimately quality DH option. Just, that's just the way it is. Also, also, I don't think you'll find a manager in Major League Baseball that is less likely oh, to God. both yeah. of his catcher, Never. both of his catchers in the lineup. Uh, period. Never ever. Uh, so, th- there's a lot. Of the you know the short answer is no. It's not going to happen. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree. We, we can leave it there. I just want to make sure that I said that out loud. But yeah, I think it's probably enough. Uh, Manny Pena talk for a while between this uh, little segment and also uh, what Scott and Shaw had to say. But that's that's also available for listening pleasure. But. A quality move, it makes them better. Um, I think if you were to make me 
guess as sort of a last point here um, as to who is going to, who would be a better player for 2022 only between Manny Pena and either one of the young guys. I'll take Manny Pena. My, my prospect skepticism is usually uh, strong enough where I will take the proven veteran in terms of just the safety factor for next year. Do you agree? Yeah. And well, I agree with that. I mean, like, but that's primarily because I think Manny Pena is a, a decent catcher. He's pretty good. Yeah. He's not great. That's not a knock on anybody, but like, it takes a while for guys to get used to being major league hitters. And there's warts for both of Contreras and Langoliers right now. And Manny Pena has at least done the job. So I, 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 I wouldn't, I, I don't think the gap would be crazy. Uh, and I think in, you know, I think that Contreras like could be a better hitter, but he might just be significantly worse defensively. Uh, I think that Shea is special defensively, but that's kind of a, he has he has a hit tool that I think that people might be overselling a little bit. So, you know, once you get to the major leagues, I mean, we have never since I've been following baseball, there has never been a bigger gap between what happens at AAA in the minor leagues in general and the major leagues. Like it is, it is very very hard, and that like it speaks to kind of how remarkable guys like Wander Franco, Ronald Acuna Jr., you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., what they did just like to come come in as like really young guys and do what they do. That speaks to how remarkable those talents are because there's a lot of guys who are really highly regarded and they get called up and it's ugly to be say the least. Yeah. Uh, well said. Okay. We'll move on from that, but there is one sort of prospect adjacent topic that I also want to get your thoughts on. It's sort of, uh, I guess, um, mirrored with the Contreras Langlier stuff. And that's that the Braves uh, added some guys to the 40 man this week. Um, obviously with the impetus to avoid Rule 5 and have those guys be protected. Uh, Drew Waters is the most famous and most high-profile of these four, but also Freddie Tarnock, Brooks Wilson, and William Woods were all added to the 40-man roster. Um, this is not my area of expertise, Eric, so this is where I ask you about these guys being added and also if there was anybody that you were surprised was not added to the 40-man roster. Yeah, so this is kind of an interesting subject because another guy that was kind of added right at the end of the semester not the semester god uh <laughs> at, the, at, at, at the end of the, you can tell how tired i am we, we should use uh, semester think, more often i think actually it'd be good uh, for, for prospect stuff it'd be good yeah yeah i can see it anyway uh, at the end of the season uh, alan run hell was also added to the 40 man roster. yes uh and he was gonna be rule five eligible so he's another another guy that's kind of be grouped in this discussion uh the short answer is like if you're i was fairly certain that Drew Waters and Freddie Tarnock were going to get added. These are two like high pedigree prospects. In Waters' case, the shine has come off of him a little bit in terms of his overall, you know, like his approach and whether or not he's actually like you know, I not even it's not even a question of identifying pitches. It's a question of like what, he knows the curveball's coming, but that doesn't mean that's something he needs to. That's something he can do damage against. Uh, he needs to be be better about what pitches he can do damage against types of th- types of things. But you know, super u- uber talented. You know, has up until last year had hit at every level. So I, I, that, that was fairly widely understood. And then Freddie Tarnock comes back from like, you know, dealing with an injury early in the season had really kind of stalled out in like that high a range and pitched really well, got to double a pitched well in double a. So I, again, kind of a guy who's in that kind of that early teens range where I'm not surprised at all that he got protected after that, it kind of gets down to the guys that you think are like relievers that teams could take a chance on, uh, which is where things got kind of interesting. Like I am frankly shocked that Alan Renhell is on a 40 man roster. Uh, he had a very good season this year. We kind of went more to his changeup, 
ended up missing more bats, struck out a bunch more guys, made his way to double A. He had been at Rome forever. Like, I would not be shocked if, you know, Rome found a way to, like, retire his number. Uh, we make jokes about him being a part owner of the team as long as he was there. But, you know, it, great great for him. He's a starter. Uh, he had been pitching as a starter. So I'm a bit curious as to why they the Braves felt the need to protect him. But as good of a season as he had, maybe they just thought he thought that they thought that the some team might take a chance on him and try to snag him away. Uh, the other two guys I think are relievers. One was primarily a reliever, and the other probably should be a reliever, and that's uh, Brooks Wilson and William Woods. William Woods, that's this is the kind of guy that gets taken in Rule 5 drafts. He's been – the Braves have been kind of pushing him as a starter. I don't think he is a starter, but this guy with, like, triple-digit fastball, and if he's a reliever, he can just let that thing loose uh, as long as he commanded a little bit. Like, that's going to have some value, and for a Rule 5 pick – that makes a ton of sense for a team that, that maybe they, he's a bit of an older guy in terms of, you know, where he's at and he is being moved pretty aggressively after dealing with injuries. So, you know, now that he's got that shoulder, that not shoulder, the elbow information taken care of, look, he's looked pretty good in the Arizona fall league. So maybe the Braves felt like that they won. This is a guy that they could maybe have in their bullpen at some point in 2022, but also that this is the kind of guy that gets selected in the, the rule five is kind of those, you know, lottery ticket type high octane relievers profiles. I understand that the Braves are wanting to him to be a starter. And if they want to try that, that's fine. I just think he is a reliever. And Brooks Wilson was a reliever who had a really productive uh, year down in double a Mississippi on a squad that had some several really good relievers on it. He was among, if not the best relievers on that team. So again, not super surprising, but at the same time, you know, what relievers they chose and why was pretty interesting. Uh, a couple guys that had some, you can make some arguments as to why you could protect them, but typically in the rule five draft, it's mostly relievers and pitchers. That's just what gets picked. There's notable exceptions to that, but you know, for example, a, a couple position players that you can make arguments for, putting on the 40-man roster and might have some utility. Drew Lugbauer had a good season down in Mississippi and has been really good in the Arizona Fall League, which is not something that I would have predicted either in either case this year, but had a good season in A, hit for a bunch of power. The hit tool's definitely a question mark, but it's been better this year, and he's looked good in the Arizona Fall League. And another guy that is Rule 5 eligible is Justin Dean, who is you know a really good defender out in the outfield, has a ton of speed, can steal a ton of bases, so maybe see him as kind of a bench piece or a really, you know, a fourth outfielder type that you know maybe gets regular plate appearances. I, I don't know. He seems more like a bench piece to me at this point, but you know he's a guy that's regarded highly enough. One guy the shine that's really come off is Trey Harris, who's been you know kind of coming up in that same group of guys. But, you know, he didn't have a great year this year, and I just don't think he profiles as a guy that's going to get selected in the Rule 5, which is why I think that ultimately the Braves didn't protect him is that they don't think he's going to be going anywhere. Uh, and you have reliever types like, you know, J Thomas Burroughs has been like on Braves prospect lists elsewhere forever. I'm not really sure why, but, you know, he's he's Rule 5 eligible. Daisbel Hernandez has a really live arm, but had a tough had a kind of a tough season, has issued with command, even though the fastball is really live. He's Rule 5 eligible. Troy Bacon had a really good, like, I had a pretty good, I say, a good start to the season, less good overall. But, you know, he's a guy that's Rule 5 eligible. Corbin Klaus is a lefty that has is a really live arm, but is coming off really major surgery. Same thing with, uh, you know, other guys that, that are options. There are guys that 
feasibly could be picked, but they're not guys where I'm like, wow, how could they leave that guy unprotected? I just think there's guys that you could justify that sort of protection. You know, like Nolan Kingen is another example there where he was a starting pitching prospect and towards the end of the season and in the postseason, he kind of transitioned to reliever and it was good in that role. He's around available. Hayden deals the same way. Guy that started off as a starter, now he's a reliever. It all depends on kind of what teams are looking for. But generally, for me, what I see happening in Rule 5 drafts is kind of more high upside reliever types, and those aren't really these guys that aren't, aren't the types of guys that get picked. So we'll see if the Braves end up losing anybody, but my guess, my guess is that, you know, that they're, they're not going to lose anybody. But there's certainly some guys you can make some arguments for protecting. Eric, I'm a big fan of knowing your limitations, and I'm not going to say anything because I have nothing to add. I'm just saying. I, 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 I defer to you entirely. I, I, I had to try really hard not to make a joke about you being very willing to trade Ozzy Albee because he can play shortstop. Well, that's fine. I mean, it, it, that's an yeah, annual I tradition did. or a weekly tradition yeah. on this podcast. So that's fine. I was about um, to say, it's not annual. I, I definitely do it more than once a year. Well, yeah, it's true. Uh, but yeah, that's a, good, that's a good summation. I was following along, as everybody else hopefully was too, and... Uh, I have I have one final thing. This is gonna this is gonna cut close to your heart, but uh, Mark Bowman, front of the podcast, slander wrote this slander. wrote this week or last week. I can't remember which one. He just kind of mentioned it. He didn't say it was gonna happen, but he kind of just mentioned that Mike Soroka could be like maybe a non tender candidate. And I just thought of you in that moment. Um, his point was a good one, at least in terms of the rationale, and that Soroka's gonna get some real money in arbitration uh, with absolutely no guarantee that he can pitch and he has had injuries that um you know with all respect to him are pretty frightening for his future so uh i know what you're gonna say but i want to i want to give you a chance to say it on the podcast don't non-tender mike soroka i'm just gonna go ahead and say that now <laughs> and bowman and i are not friends right now uh but I, I, look objectively those conversations need to be had and to be perfectly honest, we're in uncharted territory with two back-to-back Achilles injuries. Right. That's that 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 is. I mean, I'm not going to discount that. Obviously, it's we're in uncharted territories, and that all comes down to like medicals. And if like you're looking at scans, and you're just like, I just don't know if this guy's, you know, Achilles is ever going to work again. Uh, then you have to think about it. And I think that you know. For, especially for this arb year, I don't think it matters as much. I think that the the upside of if he heals up and if everything's going, if his rehab's going well, and you know he, you're all your doctors are saying, hey, you know it's it's looking good. This seems like it was more of a freak thing than you know than that you know the three million projection or whatever and that number ends up being seems completely fine to me. Uh, it would certainly be a bigger issue if he was further along in the arbitration process where he was making even more money than that. If his, I'll say this, I think as of now, unless there is something about his rehab and kind of how his healing process is going that changes this calculus, which we don't, we don't have that information. We just don't. Um, but if his, if his projection is, and they decide to non-tender him because they don't, they, they think that's too much money. That is indicative of a much bigger and larger problem with the Braves' payroll, right? Um, and look, I I, th- I would certainly tender him a contract. You know, at the end of the day, even if he comes back like you know middle of summer, the type of as if you think he can come back healthy, and I just don't know enough about back-to-back Achilles injuries to 
be able to be informed on that. Uh, but the upside with him versus that that level of investment, like it just seems like a no brainer to me. But if a non tender happens, I become concerned one because you know my large adult Canadian son won't be on the Braves team on the Braves anymore. <laughs> but more importantly, it's because I think that that might be indicative of some like larger concerning payroll things, which shouldn't be the case considering the Braves just are coming off a World Series title and we're one of the teams that were like the first to like just cram as many people into the stadiums as humanly possible this year. Yeah, they're they're gonna spend. I don't think I don't think it's gonna happen. I do think that Bowman is justified in bringing it up. Um, and he got yelled at a lot, which yes. I understand. It's, that's just kind of part of the job sometimes yep. to say the thing that nobody yeah. wants to say. Um, yeah. And we're I, not I'm, friends right. We're, we're not friends right now, but it's okay. I, I, I'm on your side on this one in terms of like what I would do. You know, unless they just think that there's just no way he's gonna come back. Um, you just keep him around because his upside is high enough where it's it's justified. So, all right. So that's enough of that for now. Before we get to some other stuff, you know, some awards talk, some Freddie Freeman talk, probably later on in the podcast, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Eric, um, quickly, and I do mean quickly, MLB award season has now come and gone. Um, we kind of knew this was going to happen, but the Braves were shut out uh. on awards. Um, and, you know, MVP, Bryce Harper wins. Uh, I would have voted for Bryce Harper, um, so that was not a problem for me. Um, people were mad about that, which I understand. It's one of those things. Um, five players got, got first place votes. Austin Riley finished seventh. His highest vote was fourth, and he only got one fourth place vote. Uh, he was on 27 of 30 ballots, but he was actually left off of three of those. Um, Freeman finished ninth. His uh, highest vote was fifth, and he was only on 13 ballots. Uh, Bowman actually voted for MVP this year. You know, if people don't know, may not know this, it's not the same exact 30 people that vote on each award. This is a rotating thing based on city and BBWA membership, all that stuff. In Atlanta, it was Bowman and Paul Newberry from the AP were the, were the MVP voters. In Atlanta, Bowman, Bowman voted Freeman over Riley, which I uh, actually agree with. Um, and uh, Newberry voted Ozzy 10th, Riley 5th, and nothing for Freddie. So not a lot of consistency there. Ozzy was top 15 in the final vote, and he finished 13th. Um, and he was actually the highest brave on two ballots. So two people two people in, in National League MVP voting voted for Albies ahead of Riley and Freeman, which is just interesting to me. <laughs> I, 
He had a great year. Listen, uh, we are very pro Ozzy. So, like, I I repeatedly said this year that, like, Ozzy was, like, having a sneaky good season. But I, I don't think I understand the path to having him ahead of uh, Freeman or Riley this year. Just saying. I, I think this is a pretty good place to talk about the fact that people really shouldn't care too much about downvote MVPs. It's always really bad. Like, there's a lot of, like, weird homerism. I mean, or, there was like, the, uh, the, the now famous Bra- Brandon Crawford was first on multiple ballots, including, like, there was a full column written about Brandon Crawford being the MVP, and I, I just don't understand that at all. I mean, I get they're really good this year, but come on, man. What are we, what are we doing? Yeah. Look, you can put Brandon Crawford at two or three. And, like, still write the same article. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just felt like that they just felt like they needed to make a point about, like, how good the Giants season was. And they felt like they just had to put the Giants' best guy at first, right? But I, no, I didn't get that at all. Um, I, yeah. I, I probably would I would have voted for Harper, too. That Phillies offense, I didn't realize how bad it was. They were dreadful in the oh, second half. Oh, it the was just him. Were, yeah, <laughs> it, it was him by himself. I mean, and like, I thought that there was at least a little bit of – I mean, like, there's guys on that team, like, I mean, JT Real Muto – I, I like I have a lot of respect for, but like that offense is like he was like I think his OPS in the second half was like eleven hundred or something like that, and like the Phillies the rest of the Phillies offense was like a team OPS of like six thirty, which is dreadful. So, I mean, look, I I, I love Juan Soto too. A lot, I mean, I love, Brandon Crawford did have a good year, so but I, it felt right that what Harper was the winner. Uh, I think that there's just a lot of people, uh, writers included, that just won't vote for Bryce Harper for first place on some some ballots because they just don't like him. Uh, and if you're getting bent out of shape out of like you know like like we saw David O'Brien getting really bent out of shape about like Austin not finishing higher. And, oh, dear. You know, there's a, there, there's a lot of you know like I mean like that Paul Newberry ballot was certainly a ballot. Um, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> uh, and, and again we, we see things like this where we like you know like writers like they they vote particularly on down ballot down ballot spots just to make sure that a player gets recognized somewhat. And they right? admit that but too. I mean that, that's been like yeah, yeah. I, I actually like, hate that, games, but it, it happens for sure. Yeah, it games the system, right? Like you know they they appeared on MVP ballots and that like that matters to some guys. Uh, and that's you know sometimes it's just like about a writer that's like hey I want to make sure this guy gets some love because. If I don't do it, then no one else is going to, even though they had a good season. But, you know, if you're picking between Austin Riley and, and Freddie Freeman, those guys had really good seasons. Uh, now, I don't think it's defensible to, you know, put Ozzy ahead of either of those guys. But at the same time, Ozzy had a really good season. So I don't mind him getting a little bit of love here and there either. It's just kind of a, a, strange, a strange situation and, it, you know... Don't get bent out of shape over awards balloting. I, I'm just going to go ahead and just, look, that's my public service announcement. A lot of times they're from writers that they're not, they might be putting a lot of thought into their ballots, but it's not on necessarily on who the top 10 most valuable players are. They might try to make sure that the top three or four are in the right order, but the rest they're they're trying to game the system a little bit uh, to you know make a point for whatever reason, right? And there's a lot of different reasons for that. And, you know, writers get really, like, in their feelings about the fact that they want the award to mean what they want to them. And, <laughs> yes. And they want to put, like, the names on the ballots that they want to. They think it's their award. And I think, that personally, you should just try to rank the top ten best players. But there's a lot of writers, a lot of them, that don't necessarily think that that's necessarily the case. I think that they do want to get the the, the winner correct. Um, I don't know how they come to their conclusions sometimes in getting that name. But 
at the same time, what happens down ballot is a lot of weird wonky stuff because, I mean, you look at some of these ballots and there's like no way that some of the guys that get ranked ahead of Austin Riley and Freddie Freeman consistently were better than those two guys. So it's, and there's reasons for that that aren't necessarily conducive to making one think that the, you know, the voting process is one that's particularly well thought out. But that's just the system that it is. And just, again, just don't get bent out of shape out of it. At the end of the day, Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman, and Ozzie Albies all had really good seasons. And the, because they all three had really good seasons was a big part of why the Braves won the World Series, which is ultimately the thing that matters the most. Yeah, and, you know, I I've, I poked fun at some of the more homerish takes from media people about Austin Riley in particular because there was this notion that he was like a leading MVP candidate and he kind of never was Um, I think him finishing seventh is totally fine if he had finished fifth it would have been totally fine Um, if he had won I would have said that was wrong if that makes sense like he had a great year Um, like I said before I would have actually voted Freeman ahead of Ozzy ahead of Riley but if you vote if you think the other way I have no issue with that it was those two were pretty close together for me um, and I think that's totally fine. They both finished in the top 10. Um, I know there was some people bothered by Riley finishing so low, but like, I get it if it's like fifth versus seventh, but he, he, he did not have an argument over guys like Harper and Soto. And he just wasn't as good as those guys this year. And that's okay. He's, he had a great, 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 great season. So, uh, we'll leave it there for now. But, um, Cy Young was not really a Braves at all. Um, there was nobody really in the mix. In fact, no votes at all for anyone on the Braves. Um, manager of the year, Snit finished fourth. People got really mad about that, but I will just stress this right now. It is a regular season award, and the Braves won 88 games this season. Uh, the Braves did not, and usually manager of the year is for like which team overachieves. That's usually who wins manager of the year. The Braves did not overachieve in the regular season. Uh, and so that was no, I was not surprised nor bothered by Snit pitching forth. So I have a quibble about this. Uh, they, got the, they got the award right. Uh, Gabe Kapler was the manager of the year. I'll just go ahead and say that now. They won like a thousand games this, this year. Yeah, they, they were really good. He did a good job implementing what their strategies were and utilizing the staff that they had. That was a team that way overperformed expectations, right? I don't have any issues with Greg Council. I think he's a like I think he's a good manager, and I think he consistently gets that Brewers team, you know, consistently producing in that division. I think Mike Schultz got that like they'll. I don't know exactly when the balloting <laughs> happenings, but you will not convince me of anything else other than like the win streak of like that month. Oh yeah. That's it. That was, that was, that was the only reason why. And I would have put Snit over Schilt one, because I don't think Schilt's any good, but two, and you know, (laughs) that that kind of leads me to why I'm not surprised at all. They end up getting fired. But I also think that considering what happened with the Braves and, you know, all the injuries and like still like towards the end of the season being in contention and ultimately taking the division lead, I would have put him in over Schilt, but that's he fine. was not yeah, a I real. Mean... He was he was not a realistic contender to win the award. And by the way, finishing fourth in the manager year award voting is really really good. Yeah, so, I mean it's not a. I have no issue with that either. You know, he got four second place votes. One of those one of those was from Dob. Um, just for the record, um, but yeah, if he finishes third, that's fine with me. Like. I don't think that yeah. it's like a hot take to think that Snit shouldn't have won a manager of the year this year. Like DOB didn't vote Snit first, which tells you all you need to know about that. Um, and, you know, the, the local media is very high on the work that Snit does. That's very clear. They defend him um, pretty much always. And no one voted him first, even locally. So uh, anyway, he had a great, he had a great postseason as we, as we talked about a lot on this, on was, this yeah, podcast. Yeah, he, was, yeah. he did yep. a great job in the playoffs, he, like flat out. Yep. So 
there was like maybe like a couple decisions where I'm like, really? But most of the time he was spot on. Uh, he outmanaged the crap out of David Robertson at NLCS. So he was better you know. than Council too in the in the, in the previous yeah. series. Like yeah. he he did a good job. You know, obviously we talked about a couple of things we didn't like, but overall, like Snit deserves all kinds of credit for the way that he handled this team this year. But regular season award and uh, no surprise. Uh, last thing on the awards front, Ian Anderson um, finished fifth in Rookie of the Year voting. It's still funny that he was even even eligible. He's just been in my life for so long at this point that it seems like it was funny that he was even eligible. Um, he got three total votes. They were all for third place, and two of them came from the local Atlanta writers, <laughs> which were Bowman and Charles Odom uh, on that one. So that tells you yeah. a little bit <laughs> about what happened there. Um, I, I want to say this before I, before, I go, before I go to you for last word. Um, you know, Ian, I think prospect talent-wise is uh, – better than this finish would indicate rookie of the year wise, but he didn't have a fantastic season. He was fine. Um, and also, um, you know, pitcher versus hitter for rookie of the year can always be a little bit tricky, but Trevor Rogers was just flat out better than Ian Anderson as a pitcher this year. So if you thought Ian should have won, um, there was no argument for him over Trevor Rogers this year, pitcher versus pitcher Zero. in terms of rookie of the year only none. Zero. Uh, and and I mean Jonathan India had quite like a hell of a season. Too. Yeah, like, I mean like, at least that like, at least with that like you could at least go hit, hit, hitter versus pitcher and like try to make the argument. But when it's when there's a pitcher that's clearly better, it's like very easy to see that he shouldn't have won. You know. Uh, well, absolutely. There's a, there was a pitcher that should have finished ahead of him, and there was a hitter that had a better OBP than Joey Votto. That's all you need to know about <laughs> like where you know what I mean. Like it's. <laughs> Ian had a good season. You know, he was really good in the playoffs, except against the Dodgers. So yeah. overall, like, th- there's no shame in where he finished. There was just some guys that had some better seasons. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're projecting better to be better long term. But Trevor Rogers was really, really good. Uh, I personally like. I have questions whether or not like that Trevor Rogers is going to hold up over a course of a career sure. that has value. Yeah. Uh, I like, I there's things I like, I like about Ian better long-term in terms of his pitching repertoire. Uh, Jonathan India is kind of a, a sort of a weird hitting profile, but it was really, really productive. It doesn't, this isn't a, this is, this is, this is not an award that is saying this is the guy who's going to be the best player in their careers. It is the, and the guy you'd want even it's the guy who had the best season in the rookie season. And, it wasn't Ian, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, that's uh, well said. And uh, finally, he will not be eligible for Rookie of the Year next year. So this will be the last time we talk about Ian Anderson for Rookie of the Year. Um, I'm, I'm kind of kidding, but it did feel like he was a Rookie of the Year candidate for three years. Yeah, he's, he's been around for a while, to be sure. Um, last uh, thing on, on awards, we've got a mailbag question from Tom, who asked, who is the most likely candidate for the Braves to win, not, not to be mentioned, but to win a season-long, season-wide award next season. Is it Riley, Acuna, Freeman, Snicker, or someone else? Okay, so likely. Um, Most likely candidate from the Braves to win a full-on National League award next season. I don't think it's Riley, uh, as good as he was. I agree. I, I still think the answer is Ronald Acuna Jr. Even though I don't think he's going to start the season with the team. That, that's uh, the thing about it. Like it's 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 pretty obviously Ronnie if he can play in April. But if he can't, it gets really hard to win MVP if you can't play in April. Uh, here's the thing: in terms of overall production in like half a season, he was better than some guys who got top five votes in this year's MVP. So I I still think it's Ronnie. Uh, I think that even if he comes back in May, for example, I think that he can produce enough to 
as long as he finishes the season, right? He he can put that season together. Uh, Freddie Freeman, <laughs> I know that sounds terrible. We don't know he's playing in the National League next year, so we don't know. No, for sure. we do not. Um, um, yeah. Yep. As much as I got yelled at about kind of being fifty-fifty on that, all of a sudden that's yeah. Uh, that's a different thing. Uh, Snicker actually has a reasonable argument, though. Like, if, if the Braves are good next year, I, I was gonna say, like, yeah. like, that, like, I, I don't have any problems if you if Snicker and Ronnie are really, really close. I think if you simply because of Ronnie's recovery timeline, I think the answer is Snicker. Um, number one, the pool of available candidates that can win Manager of the Year is obviously a lot smaller, so your odds go up. Um, yep. Yep, I agree with that. You have to manage. You have to manage a good team. The Braves should be good next year. Um, Snit's beloved, all that stuff. If Ronnie was healthy right now and we knew he'd play in April, I think I still might take him because I think he was going to win win MVP this year. If he didn't get hurt, um, but yeah. I think if you maybe pick one person, life on the line, they have to win an award next year. I would probably take Snicker. Um, just because of the what I said, like just the simple odds of it. Like there's just not a lot of candidates. MVP, yeah, there's probably only ten guys that can win, maybe maybe fifteen, twenty. But manager of the year, there's like six that can win. <laughs> so uh, and, and and Snickers firmly been in those like five guys who are consistently in consideration for the award for like four years now. Yeah, I mean, so, honestly, yeah. And half reason, the battle half the battle is having your team be good and the Braves project to be good. So it's like, you know, anyway, we're in the weeds, but I think, I think the only real answers you can give are Ronnie and Snicker. Uh, I guess if we knew, and as, as we transition here to the last topic, I guess if we knew Freddie was on the team, he would be in consideration because he's been at an MVP level, you know, two years ago, he won MVP. Um, well, I guess two seasons ago, one year ago at this point, he won MVP. Um, and, you know, this year wasn't quite a candidate, but was, you know, a top 10 finisher. So he'd be, he'd be right there too. Um, there was not a ton of Freddie news. This week, but of course, that's the number one topic of conversation still post World Series is Freddie's status. Um, I will give the giant caveat of the person who reported this being Bob N- Bob Nightingale, but he did report that oh. Freeman turned down five for one thirty five, um, and he's looking for closer to six for two hundred. I will say this as I tweeted this, this the first day this report came out, there was no chance he was just going to take five for one thirty five, zero. That was never happening. Yeah. So I think I think the Braves were always going to make that offer sure. just because you make the like, offer that like you, no way. you like you look at what <laughs> you you look at what Goldschmidt got in his deal and you're like we'll do an extra million per year and we'll go ahead and just throw that out there and see what they say like that's a starting point and that like I have no problems by the way that being the starting point of negotiations I think that's perfectly reasonable but. I don't he, feel like that that was like the Braves being like crazy cheap or anything. I think it's just like, hey, this is kind of like, you know, we have this number. Based you're opening on this. salvo, basically. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, like, and then and we kind of go from there. Um, You know, it sounds like that he's wanting more like six years close to 200 million. That's getting to where it's pretty rich. Uh, I know well, that everyone's. Yeah. Just... It's a lot of money. Um, Just to round out the reporting before I get to the to the real to the real meat of this, which is uh, our, our thoughts on, on the numbers. But, uh, DOB said this week that from what he hears, there has been, quote, little progress in negotiations since the World Series ended. Um, That's the latest on what he has said. Bowman um, wrote in his newsletter this week that he is still counted in the many who who think Freeman will be in Atlanta next year, but his confidence has steadily waned since opening day arrived without an extension. So uh, I think Bowman's kind of where I am in that uh, 
and even in the Nightingale reporting, I think he said, like, you can't find anyone that thinks Freeb's going to leave. Um, and this is kind of where I've been the entire time before I handed it to you is, like, I think he is likely to return. Um, but the trouble is, when you let a guy hit free agency, anything can happen. And I think that's the general feeling of everyone I've talked to, both on and off the record about this, people that kind of know things more than I do, is like, look, everyone would like pick the Braves as the most likely destination for Freddie Freeman, but no one's going to 100% anymore because it's just not 100%. If you're a free agent, it's not a lock. It's just not. Um, unfortunately, obviously, we all wanted to get to, all wanted to, to get done, and I still think it's going to get done. But, um, you know, we got tons of questions about this. Um, I'm not even trying to answer one of them. And I'll just throw it back to you. Like several people kind of asked the combination of like, what's too much for Freddie and, or like questions about the six for 200 number. Like, is that too much? Like, where are you on this Eric? Cause you know, my general thought is always like, it's not my money. So just pay the man whatever he wants basically. Um, but that's not like practical. So is there a point in which you would kind of draw the line if you're the Braves? So I'll just go ahead and say that that six and two hundred million is probably at the line for me. Um, that's a lot of money. Uh, it's a lot of years. Uh, I think what this we what we saw was that the before the season, the Braves were willing to talk about a five year extension. Freddie wanted to talk about a six year extension. They could not get past that like that fundamental, you know, how many years? I'm sure the Braves would like happily, you know, do a six-year deal for like $160 million, but obviously Freddie's not going to take that, right? So I think there's just that sixth year at roughly, we'll say, $32 million a year is kind of where I think, I don't think that the $32 million a year is the fundamental problem. It's five years versus six years. And I think what's happened, and again, this is pure conjecture, but we've kind of seen Anthopolis do this with other free agents is he'll let these guys he'll let guys go and see what offers they can get and they'll say they'll say look go to free agency have the conversations you need to have with whatever teams come back to us with this is the offer that if you guys don't offer me a contract this is what i'm taking and then see where the braves are in terms of that number so i think what's happened is the why we haven't heard negotiations is i think that phrase agents freddie they're exploring what their options are if they're just not looking at the Braves. Like if we're like the Braves are just not an option, where would I go? And then once that happens and he goes, okay, I've got where am I, my quote unquote, my second, my, my plan B, my backup choice. This is what the deal is. This is why I like it. This is, you know, Braves. This is what I can get right now. Now we need to have a conversation about what it would take for me to stay here versus taking this deal to go to this team. Yeah, and um, I think that's just what's happened. I just think that like, and that, that's not a bad sign. That's just I think that that's Alex stop saying, look, I get it. Go figure out what you know if there's a place that you think that you could play next year that you'd be happy and the dollar figure. But let's talk about an actual dollar figure as opposed to kind of like bidding against ourselves. Yeah, just don't sign it. Basically, the whole thing yeah, is just, like if you're Anthopolis, it's just give us there's that slight risk where it's like he just gets bowled over and you don't have a chance. And I don't think that's going to happen, to be honest. But that's the that's kind of the part of the risk here. And, you know, the Goldschmidt deal that I think, you know, Bummer referenced, you referenced, is a very common one. And that's definitely what I would use if I was the Braves. And just say, look, this is the most similar deal to what, you know, similar kind of player archetype to what you are. First baseman, similar age, similar production. This is what he got. Um, if I'm Freddie's agent, 
I am going to throw out names like Nolan, Ar- Nolan Arenado, who got seven for 235. Um, granted, he was younger, but you could argue that Arenado isn't better than Freeman and hasn't been really at any point. He's, he's really good, but um, yeah. that's the kind of but deals dude. where it's like a little bit scarier for you is if like Frey's agent is like, all right, well, I see your Goldschmidt and I raise you player X. And granted, it's different because of age and all that stuff. You know, Freddie, that's the big thing, obviously, with years, is that Freddie is already 32 at this point in time. So you're signing him for his age 32, 33, 34, 35, 36 seasons. For, that's a five year deal. He'll be 37 in year six. Um, and even then, he'll be turning the, the age after that by the playoffs because his birthday is in September. So, you know, first base, you can age a little bit more gracefully, but, you know, I know I've seen Pujols' name thrown out there as like a cautionary tale. Clearly, you don't okay, want to become Pujols. Um, I know I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that, but it's been out there. It's been it's been said multiple times, especially since Pujols was probably like two or three years older than he, he, he was. Well, yeah, that well, that's potentially true as well. But even then, like, and that deal was obviously for longer and more money. And Pujols, to be fair, like Pujols is a generational player in a way that Freddie is not. Like Pujols was actually like the best player in baseball. And Freddie's yep. kind of never been that. I know he had, I mean, maybe for the six months of 2020, but Pujols is like maybe the best hitter of his generation. <laughs> um, so, and, uh, and, I, and also at yeah. the same time, like everyone knew when that deal got handed out, it was going to be terrible at the end. Everyone knew, probably including the angels. Like, I think everybody knew that. Um, the, the thing about this is that you, you want to do a deal that you have a chance to return value on if you're the Braves. Like, yes, in age, age 37, 38, is Freddie likely to be a $30 million player? No, because no one is likely to do that at that age. Is it possible? Sure. Nelson Cruz is doing it right now at 40, whatever he is. Um, but if you just do your calculations, like, what is the likely outcome? Is that you're hoping Freddie's outperforming his deal early to where it pays for itself later? Plus the, home, plus the hometown thing, face, face of the franchise thing. Don't piss off your fans. There's like implied value too, because if you win the World Series, yes, there's a lot of goodwill that is engendered by that. But if you win the World Series and then let your second best player or best player out the door, depending on what you think, uh, who's been your guy for a decade, fans are not going to like that. So uh, there's lots of implied stuff too, but I don't know, man, it's really nuanced. And I, I just keep going back to the fact that this this could have been avoided and they took the risk and... Uh, Five versus six years, like yeah, six for two hundred might be too much, but if it's me and that's and that's the price that gets it done, I, I'm paying six for two hundred because, you know, you can get creative if you want to, but uh, I wouldn't let that be what if, if you get if you go crazy beyond that. Like, listen, if it's if it's eight years and like two fifty, like maybe it's too much, but six years at two hundred million is not my breaking point if it's me. Yeah, and I think that. You know, what happened during the Josh Donaldson negotiations was instructive. Like, you and I spoke at length, like, do it. I, I would be comfortable maybe giving him a three year deal. We don't particularly care as much about the value each year, uh, but don't go more than three. And then what Donaldson ended up signing, like, people were genuinely mad at the Braves. They're like, oh my God, they're being cheap again. And I'm thinking, there's no way I would ever sign Josh Donaldson to that deal. So that's perfectly fine. You know, happy he got paid, go let him go be free. But I think what, I don't think six and 200 for me, if it's again, it's not my money that 
I I would if it like if they're like look if I don't get this number and only this number if there's no room I would sign Freddie Freeman to that contract. What I think ends up happening is something like six years at thirty two million. So that's one ninety. If I'm yeah, that's roughly. If that's something what his like that. asking price is, it's, it's probably going to be the, like if that truly is what he is asking for, quote unquote. Then it, you're probably safe to assume it won't quite be there unless yeah. someone like the Yankees decides like, yeah, here's six for two twenty or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they'll um, throw a bunch of money at him. So I I think that that's where it generally like that one ninety one ninety two range something like that. Um, I think that's what ends up happening if the Rays want to get creative and they feel like that sixth year is such a stumbling block, but they you know really want to keep Freddie and maybe there's some room for discussion that maybe they do the five-year deal, but in that fifth year, if he reaches some relatively reasonable, you know, sort of triggers, you know, like yeah. a certain number of plate appearances basically, or whatever. Is he still playable at that point? Is, is, the, is basically what yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Are you still a baseball player that can actually do things? Uh, and that would trigger a player option, right? Gives him all the control, and that player option is as is lucrative. Then I think that that's a place that they could be as well. But I don't know if that's something that you know Freddie is available for. I you know I I think that the, the relationship between the Braves and Freddie is good. So I think that if such a deal were to be kind of constructed in a way that would be like Freddie's like yeah, I think I can I should be able to do that. Uh, but you know at the end of the day, I I think that he's worth a six year deal. Uh, understanding that that sixth year might not be great, but this is a window that is really, really important in Braves franchise history. They have Ronald Cooney Jr. and Ozzie Albies signed cheap. I don't see how, so as a result, you have kind of these young core pieces that are going to be cheap for a little bit longer. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about like Austin Riley and Max Freed and, you know, some other young pieces that are going to get more and more expensive. And you're thinking about extensions for those guys and things like that too. So I totally get all those things. But this window, you signed Ronnie and you signed Ozzy to cost-controlled years so that you would have the flexibility to make moves like this to hold your team and be really super competitive during this window. If you don't do that, I mean, this offseason gets really, really tough if they don't bring back Freddie Freeman, because then all of a sudden the best hitters on the markets are shortstops and you have Dansby, who's going to get real, real money in arbitration. And if you really need to make your upgrade in your offense, shortstop market's pretty much the only place. And I can guarantee you this, Freddie may seem expensive, but if you're talking to Carlos Correa's agent or Trevor Story's agent or whatever, they know that they have six teams willing to throw oodles of money at them for for real reasons and there's not other places you can get anything close to what freddie does and there's no first baseman that will no give he's i mean you're looking at like this is a whole different podcast and maybe we'll do this later on if we if he's still a free agent in a couple of weeks but you're you're probably looking for trade options or whatever like your matt olson types has been a popular one he's obviously a local guy um but all that stuff and we'll we'll hold that for later but to your point about ronnie and ozzy they just as a reminder for anyone that may have forgotten this um, they have Ronnie and Ozzy under contract for a combined $24 million per season through 2027. And those guys are probably worth $60-plus million a season combined. 
uh, maybe maybe seventy million dollars a season. Yeah, it depends, yeah it depends on the the season. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's just tells you the surplus value there. And honestly, the the big thing that we can't answer always um, that I think we've I think listeners probably know this by now, but if you're a new listener, the big thing that we cannot that we cannot answer is what the payroll looks like. And all we know right now is that Anthopolis said on the record after the World Series after the parade that they're going to raise payroll. But does that mean drastically? We don't know. Um, there are some guys getting raises. Uh, there, there are guys coming off the books, but um, they're going to have to raise payroll significantly to do what I know Braves fans want them to do, which is pay Freddie and then do more. Um, it's going to be a real bump if they do that. And obviously the Ozuna thing's up in the air. That's something to circle, et cetera. But um, the big question that only they know that we do not is what the actual payroll projections are when it comes to what Liberty is willing to pay this year and also planning for the future. So I'm not a big, like, you know, trust blind, you know, encourage people to trust blindly leadership. And, but in this case, in a non salary cap sport, there is a little bit of like, you have to just kind of defer to what the money looks like because we don't, we don't know what they're willing to spend. So, and, and Thopos doesn't, you know, we'll, we'll see. Well, <laughs> Well, especially with the specter of CBA negotiations. Oh, oh yeah. Don't know. That's I the... mean, like that, 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 that's important. Like the Braves just might be like, look, like go, go search around, go like shop around. Just don't make a decision until we know what the CBA is going to say, because that might impact the kinds of things that we need to do. I mean, they're, uh, they're probably like, going to be a lockout in 12 days. The presence of the DH alone changes how much you need to pay for you know your roster and what decisions you have to make. We don't know what's going on with Ozuna, so that like we don't know what decisions have been made there, if any. You know, if the if they if the if the league decides not to suspend Ozuna, what do you do? <laughs> you know, uh, I my guess is that they play him, and if that's the case, they're paying him full freight for next year, and that changes the calculus a little bit. And then maybe you just need to move things around, and they just can't. They're not going to be able to move things around after the beginning of December for several months. So it might just be that, Fre- and I would not be shocked if Freddie was a late sign. Just And it's not because of anything that's Freddie's fault or anything that's the Braves' fault. They might just be like, look, this is just the best course of action for you and for us is just to see where these CBA talks land. Yeah, I mean, and to get out of here and sort of wrap up the podcast, just another reminder, we won't go deep into it now, but there is a likelihood of a lockout in early December. And yep. that's two weeks from now or less. So, you know, stuff can still happen before that. But once that happens, if it does, and again, everyone believes it is likely, not definite, but likely to happen, um, then nothing can happen. Like you can't sign players. You can't make transactions during a lockout. So maybe they can talk in back channels and maybe they will they can continue to do that. But uh, officially you can't really do anything when that happens. So, there's kind of an artificial deadline there. So like if I'm betting and this is a total guess, because we, we just don't know. It certainly would not surprise me if nothing was done with Freddie before, before a lockout happened. Like I, I think on both sides, there's like kind of some reason to wait. Um, when and if that happens um, or it might get done this week. Uh, I mean, that wouldn't stun me either. Like we're all sort of in the same waiting game where, you know, the Braves probably have an offer on the table of some level and that it could be beyond what you just said. Like, look, anything beyond this, Freddie, just let us know what you have and we'll talk about it. Um, and that might take a while, uh, particularly because 
they won the World Series. And, like, there's probably some sort of basking in the glow. Like, Freddie was doing the circuit. Like, he went to the CMA Awards and stuff like that. Like, he was doing the glad-handing circuit. And, by the way, he should. They won the World Series. <laughs> like, enjoy it for a little while. Absol- He's going to make a lot abso- of money. Absolutely, yep. So, uh, I get that we're all impatient. And, you know, it's been three weeks now since the World Series ended. As crazy as that is. But, uh, yeah. It would not surprise me when you factor in lockout, etc. If it was, if it takes a while. Um, or he might sign Monday. And this will all be irrelevant. But... We will see. Uh, Eric, anything else you want to add before we get out of here on this uh, sort of grab bag podcast? Yeah, I just first, I hope everyone is safe uh, during the holiday week. You know, travel safe, be safe. You know, you know, I hope that your, your family, family and friends are happy and healthy. So to all of our listeners also, thank you for all the support on the podcast, all the support on the site. We are going to be continuing to roll out our player review series, both in the major and minor league level, over the course of the holiday break and for the next at least few weeks. That's going to continue to roll out over on the site, so make sure you go to TalkingChop.com. And, you know, make sure you send all of your Michigan sports takes to at at BT Roland. Uh, A very important bet has been made between Brad (laughs) and Scott. Uh, regarding the outcome of tonight's Arizona versus Michigan game. Which is I, happening, by the way, as we're talking right now. I'm, I'm yeah, kind of uh, watching how, out, out of court of my uh, eye. How, how, how's it going so far? Uh, Michigan is losing by four points at this moment, at this moment in time. Oh, it's the first half, it's fairly gosh. early. But, yeah, Scott and I have a uh, have a Twitter bet that will uh, people will notice uh, the winner of that at the end of this. But Michigan-Arizona is the, is the Scott versus Brad Bowl. And then uh, I have a bit of a football game I'm interested in next Saturday as well. But... Well, we'll I, I am root, I am rooting for you in that football game, but I must admit I do think that the Twitter content will be much funnier if Scott wins tonight. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll take so, that. Uh, listen, uh, college basketball in November. Um, I, I love basketball, but it is not exactly sky high stakes for this game. Other than the Twitter bet that we have, um, the actual impact is not terribly high. So, I will. Uh, I will gladly trade a loss to Scott in this wager if it means Michigan is even competitive on Saturday. So, yep. Um, and peas next weekend. Tease and peas. Yeah, should be really ugly as always. But uh, just for the record, as people listen to this, it is Sunday evening, November twenty first, and that's uh, context in case somebody signs on Monday or whatever. But I would echo Eric's sentiments about everybody being uh, happy and healthy during the holiday. I'm probably going to put Thanksgiving of some kind in the headline to this podcast because it's been pretty quiet, and you know, with all respect to Manny Pena. Um, it's not like there's like massive stuff happening in the Braves world, but listen, the afterglow continues. They won the World Series this month. Again, that happened one more time on the podcast. They won the World Series this month. Um, fun without my health. That's a good place to sign, sign, sign off on the podcast, but please follow Eric on Twitter at Leprechaun. Follow me if you'd like to at BT Roland. Follow the show at Talking Chop. And uh, I would definitely recommend and encourage everybody to subscribe to the podcast. You get this show, the Talking Chop podcast. You get the Road to Atlanta podcast, which Eric captains on the minor league side. You get you get the Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman and occasional friends. And uh, all of it for the price of $0. But we definitely encourage you to subscribe and leave five-star feedback and help to support the podcast. Also share it with your friends. It's been uh, huge to uh, have all the support that everybody's put forth, both during the playoff run, even before the playoff run, and after it, etc. It's been uh, really kind of surreal the entire way. But thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. And we'll be back again in the near future. I'm not sure exactly when, but you'll have Daily Hammer, I'm sure, in your ears pretty soon. Road to Atlanta, I'm sure, will be around as well. And uh, we'll see you next time.